0: the professional's choice what's up guys we're back i'm actually out on a job site today i'm doing a p.m. on a heating unit and i have it running and while it's running i thought i'd get the intro done to this podcast we have rocky hyatt back on the podcast and back a few months ago if you guys listen we did a back to the basics uh episode with rocky and it was really really good um a lot of good information and there was a good conversation so if you haven't heard that podcast go back and check that one out but on this podcast uh i wanted to get rocky back on because his his expertise um in the trade is is controls he's been doing it for a very long time he's very good at it and i mean the man rhymes stuff off uh like nobody else i've heard when it comes to this so you guys want to pay attention and listen up and rocky was driving during the interview so sometimes his voice got a little bit muffled but that's okay because we can still make out the conversation he was on the road hard-working guy um got home really late last night so as he was driving i called him up and we hooked up and we got this conversation done on controls we talked about some basic stuff some more um advanced stuff and guys listen that's all you got to do sit back kick back this is the hvac know it all podcast i'm your host gary mccready Right, let's get this true tech tools minute done guys i'm scrolling through TrueTechTools.com, and i come across the baccarat leakator jr it's a combustible gas leak detector very compact design it's about six inches in length and it's got a 12 inch flexible probe on it okay it's good for detecting gases such as acetone acetylene benzene butane Ethanol, propane, natural gas, a bunch of others. Okay. It's on sale right now at TrueTechTools.com for $179 from $199. And you guys, as always, can save on this tool 8% with promo code Know It All at checkout K-N O W I T A L L. And as always, guys, I'll leave the preferred testo pricing in the podcast notes. So spring is in the air here, guys, at least over here where I am. We're about 35 degrees right now. I just finished a column on call. Um, going to head back home very, very shortly. But the sun is shining. The snow is melting. I hope it keeps trending in that direction and spring comes soon because I have a, uh, I got a spring giveaway coming up and it's going to be a pretty cool giveaway. I've, I've created a theme around it and the theme is leak check and repair. All right, and the f- the first thing you want to do when you verify there's a leak in a system that's still got refrigerant in it is take out your electronic leak detector. Now, in my opinion, the best leak detector on the market is the 316-3 by Testo. There hasn't been a leak I haven't found, not yet, and the thing has been completely badass for me and other techs that purchase it I have nothing but good things to say about it. So, in the giveaway, that's going to be one of the prizes, and I received the shipment. And I'm going to post a couple of pictures online so you guys can get a sneak peek of that. But I got some other stuff on its way. We're going to put a prize pack together uh, based on the theme leak, check, and repair. And one of the centerpieces in that giveaway is going to be the Testo 316-3. Now, there was a post on HVAC Hub, uh, the group I admin on Facebook. Okay, 20,000-ish people in that group. And one of the questions was, what's the best core removal tool? Now, 90, 90, 90% of the answers was the Appian, okay? I'm not taking nothing away from Appian because they do make great products. But one of the best kept secrets, and it shouldn't be a secret anymore, is, is YJ also makes Yellow Jacket. They make a core removal tool that's vacuum rated. You've seen the ones with the ball valves. I'm not talking about that one, okay? It's a different one. This one's brass body built like a tank. Um, it doesn't have a ball valve. It's got a screw type valve on it. you got to screw in and screw out to isolate the system. Now, my comment in that thread was this core removal tool will not be the reason your decay test fails. 100%. These things are fabulous. Um, they're very, very good core removal tools when it comes to uh, being vacuum rated and keeping that tight seal. So check those out, guys. Um, in my hand right now, I have a wipe. It's a Viper Wipe by Refrigeration Technologies, okay? Um, the size of the wipe, I would say it's about 10 by 8, something something in that range. So in, in the wipe, there's this uh, kind of red material woven through it that gives it a bit of uh, a grip. So when you clean your hands with it, it gets down into the pores of your hand and, and the, the lines in your hand and removes the dirt. And they smell fabulous. And they actually are waterless and they contain moisturizers inside. So when you're done, your hand actually feels a lot smoother um, than what it was before you clean them. So check those out, guys. There's 80 wipes in the container. Okay, they'll last forever. I mean, I usually clean my hands when I get back into my truck for my drive home. And, and it's a big tub, 80 wipes, a couple of months should last you anyway. Um Always talking about Cool Air products, and they, they want to break that mold on the internal sealant, um, refrigerant sealant. It's oil-based, non-clogging, guys. And their external product, Smart Seal External, um, it can come in very handy in a unique situation like my coworker had about a month ago with the pinhole leak on the service valve. Uh, wrapped it around that valve, pinched it tight, um, and it held up. Okay, guys, it's just something that you, you might want to have in your truck for situations like that, right? And then you can go back and replace the valve after you get the order in and you have time to get the repair done properly. Uh, Field Pulse, guys, as always, their app Simply send is there for you to use anytime you want for free. Free trial of Field Pulse, right? 14-day free trial of their product, service, business software product for billing, invoicing, uh, estimating, fleet management, all that jazz. 14-day free trial. Go to fieldpulse.com forward slash HVAC know-it-all to check that out. Hey,
1: what's up, Rocky? <laughs> I oh, it's Loud and clear or what?
2: Yeah,
1: loud and clear. Awesome man. Okay, well how how's your night going so far? I just same old stuff, just different day. Yeah, you uh where where are you driving through these days right now?
2: I'm leaving northwest Arkansas, headed back home and then tomorrow going down to Mississippi.
1: Yeah, your traveling schedule's nuts, man. I don't know how, how you do it. Like how how long have you been on the road today for?
2: uh well since 7:30 this morning and, yeah you know it's been 12 hours a couple two or three jobs and then uh i got about three and a half four more hours to drive till i get home
1: jesus man you're uh you must you just must hit the pillow and like fall right asleep eh or do you need some like some downtime some unwind time as you're uh as you're just chilling out at home
2: Nah man i got adhd <laughs> a little bit of
1: OCD, too. So. You know what? I don't think you can be in this trade without a little bit of OCD, to be honest with you. That's true. Anyway, anyway, that's man, true. I I wanted to get you back, and, and everybody knows who you are because we did the podcast. And actually, you know what? I don't know if I told you this or not, but your um, podcast that we did with you, what, three months ago or so, Back to the Basics, that's one of the most popular uh-huh. That's one of the most downloaded or popular podcasts that that uh that we got going. So I mean, congratulations for that, man. You're a star. <laughs> really,
2: I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah,
1: no, I should have, I should have told you that earlier. Yeah, but they, you go, you're probably
2: up. uh list, They probably listened to it several times just trying to figure out what this old country boy was saying. Did <laughs> he say what I thought he said? <laughs> Let me rewind that.
1: Well, it only it only records it only records unique uh, listens as like is if somebody listens to it a thousand times, it's it's the same person. It's still only in, like it's it's only one listen as far as the the app goes or how it records it. But anyway, but yeah, yeah, you're up you're up at almost that, that podcast. It's around uh, three thousand downloads or listens, I would say, at this point in time. So, well, bless their heart. Yeah.
2: Blast their heart.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Anyway, so let's let's talk some controls, man, because that's that's what your uh, pretty much your expertise is, right? Since since back in the day, you you've been a controls guy pretty much. So
2: yeah.
1: What I what I, I think what I, what I think though is controls, and sorry to cut you off, but see if you agree with me here. I don't think that you can understand controls if you don't understand. A network and how a network kind of functions and how it's wired and all that and that, that, then you take it from there am i wrong in that or or is that kind of the right thinking
2: well that's uh, that's a big part of it yeah, you need to understand networking and um, understand a little bit about uh, you know how buildings wired as far as uh, internet and then uh, you know wide area network stuff you need to be a little bit of everything you, you need to be an electrician an hvac guy you need to be a plumber you need to be a low voltage specialist. You need to be access control, closed circuit television, uh, IT guy. You need to be all that stuff.
1: Yep. Yeah, I, I I agree with you there, man. So how would we like? Let's say somebody's interested in getting into controls. If we were going to talk about the basics of controls and and how we would start off learning, like like where would we start off? Well,
2: uh, you know you controls, I mean, the main thing with controls is we're controlling HVAC, so you need to be an HVAC. You need to not necessarily master it, you've heard me say this before, but you need to be good enough with it where you are familiar with uh, what's going on with the equipment.
1: Yep, I agree Uh, with you. That's your
2: plan on controlling. You also need to be a decent electrician, so you need to be familiar with uh, electrical components, uh, knowing how to... uh, you know, install uh, conduit and uh, the nomenclature of the parts and materials that go along with electrical components. So you just can't walk into electrical supply house and say, hey, I need some that three quarter inch pipe. They're going to say, well, what kind of pipe? <laughs> you know, you need to say, I need a uh, hundred foot, three quarter inch EMT, you know, a dozen, four square combination, uh, standard depth uh, boxes with blank covers and, uh compression couplings uh, cs 112 one hole straps two hole straps fill lock straps you know you need to be able to spit that stuff off real quick so you got to be a good electrician too or, or a decent electrician
1: yeah yeah I, I i agree with you on on both of those fronts um, especially if you're gonna if you're gonna control hvac equipment you better know how that equipment is supposed to function because I've ran into controls guys that don't know how an hVAC unit is supposed to work, and it runs terribly and it fails and i mean you're you're back trying <laughs> to fix it yourself, so having the hVAC background and knowing how the unit's supposed to operate, yeah uh number one for for sure so if but let, let's say um like I want to try to keep it simple for everybody that's that's listening <laughs> and 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 may, if guys that are listening or are controls professionals like specialists, then maybe um it's a refresher for them. Who knows? But I kind of want to gear this podcast towards uh, basic level controls. So, I mean, let's say we have a five ton rooftop. I mean, as basic okay. as we, as basic as we can get in the land of commercial. And let's say um, we add in another five ton rooftop. All right. Um, we want to network them together. Somehow we want to have uh, a controller for each or one that controls both. We're going to need inputs and outputs. So take us through a basic or or standard setup or installation of wiring up two five-ton rooftops to be controlled by a building automation system.
2: Well, there's three ways you can do it. Uh, You can uh, buy application-specific controllers. Uh, Okay. A lot of different manufacturers have these. And uh, I'm just going to give an example. Honeywell has one that's in the light commercial building. Um, systems series and it's called a CVHU, which is a constant volume air handling unit controller. You can put that controller in the package unit and wire it in with the the existing inputs of that package unit, and uh, uh, through communication protocol, uh, two-wire this particular one would be LAN, so you'd run a a twisted level four echelon cable back to your building manager, and you'd put uh, two CVHUs in each one of the package units, and you could do it that way.
1: LAWN, Another way you can do it is you. I just want to stop you there. Lawn for people that that don't know, lawn is a uh, a control protocol, is it not? Yes. Like 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 yes. back like like bat like back net type thing. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. That's correct. All right. Yeah. So in that particular case, you can use the application specific controller to put in the unit. Uh, basically, it's built um, to operate a constant volume air handling unit, whether it's a heat pump or whether it's a you know conventional unit uh, and according to the controller you, before you buy controls you need to know uh, what the inputs and outputs are so just like buying a thermostat you, you buy a thermostat and the unit's got two heat two cool you don't want to buy one heat one cool thermostat so you need to make sure your controls are uh, applicable for your uh, situation another way you could do it is communicating thermostats now whether you use uh, lawn equipment or whether you use backnet or or some of this wireless stuff you're seeing uh, the mesh link stuff um, you need to buy the uh, thermostats to work with the equipment so you can actually just put a communicating thermostat up in the place of a regular thermostat and uh, whether it's uh, lawn Backnet, or wireless mesh it can communicate back to the building manager another way you can do it is a open protocol or uh, basically configurable controller uh, such as a now I'm a Honeywell guy, so like the Honeywell Spider, the Silk Enhanced Spider, which is a basically a blank sheet of paper, and it has numerous inputs and outputs, and I can design that controller and program it to do anything I want it to do.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, all depending on how many outputs and inputs I have. So those are the three ways you can do it. You can do it uh, communicating thermostat, an application-specific controller, or a configurable configurable controller. And depending on the protocol, it'd go back to the uh, building management uh, server or building management controller. Uh, from the building management controller, then it, that would, would then uh, plug into the network, which would give them access on-site or remotely, depending on how their network's set up. So that's how I would do it. But in a simple, like commercial, I'd probably do uh, communicating
1: thermostats. Communicating, communicating through a thermostat. thermostat. So yeah, communicating... Just probably do some
2: discharge your sensors and stuff of that nature.
1: Yeah, so uh, that's that's the other thing I was going to ask you. Like for first I think there there's some people out there that don't know when well, we're saying inputs and outputs. Some people might not know what that means. So like give examples of some inputs. Like you just said one. Give some some other examples of some inputs um <laughs> that might be coming back to that controller that it's going to uh, take into account.
2: Um You'll have inputs such as uh, resistive inputs um, for misters. Uh, it could be a discharge air temperature sensor, return air temperature sensor, mixed air temperature sensor. Yep. Uh, you have also you can also have uh, um, voltage type of inputs, uh, zero to ten, two to ten, or four to twenty milliamp. Uh, they could be uh, items such as a uh, differential pressure transmitter. Uh, to verify, you know, static pressure, or um, you can also have uh, potential inputs, such as uh, uh, positioning inputs for, like, uh, economizer position uh, gives you a resistive value or a uh, DC value back to controller to let you know what position that economizer is in. Uh, There's several inputs you can have. You can have uh, uh, CTs. You can put CTs on compressors or on uh, indoor blowers and uh, you can set the CTs up to a amp draw rating and once the CT sees that amp draw it'll close and they'll close a set of dry contacts binary input on a controller which will say hey my fan is on or hey my compressor is on Uh, those are basically some of the inputs of course outdoor air temperature and uh, humidity um, you know Light level. There's there's several adapters there you can
1: use. I'm going to give uh, for just for everybody. I'm going to give an example of of the the T, the CT that you were talking about. Like I have a building that has uh, there's about 16 or 17 rooftops on the building, and it's it's all controlled by semen stuff. And mm-hmm. the uh, the blower fan, the contactor, right? The uh, one of the legs uh, going to the blower fan has a CT wrapped around like an amp probe wrapped around the wire so when that contactor Mm -hmm. pulls in and that fan starts to run um when that ctc's amp draw it says it tells the um the the building automation system hey this unit's running the fans on yeah the fans on it'll
2: also drive graphics too yeah you can also use the input to drive your graphics yeah so once (laughs) the input closes then your graphic your 3d graphic will start spinning a fan on human interface
1: yep or the computer yeah, some of the graphics out there are pretty cool these days. I, I've seen some some older stuff where <laughs> it looks like a a three year old uh, did the graphics up, but some of the newer stuff out there is really really cool, really badass stuff. So um, mm-hmm. so so we covered some inputs there. So outputs would be like uh, turning on a fan or turning on a compressor or you know what I mean or or engaging um, the the heating cycles, stuff like that. Those are outputs, right?
2: Yes, and you also have outputs uh, that would be uh, resistive or you can do outputs that are uh, modulating as well. So um, you have dry contact closure, modulating, or resistive outputs that you'll usually see. And what I mean by modulating, just think of like a proportional heating valve or chill water valve that you can drive uh, from zero to 100% off of uh, voltage. So Mm
1: -hmm. yep.
2: Uh, you send a zero to ten volt signal or two to ten volt signal, and you do the math there. You know you can drive that valve open or closed, and uh, do position do proportional positioning uh, off your heat load or your PID loop. Now, uh, <clears throat> most of the stuff that you'll see in the field on light commercial and some most commercial stuff is going to be uh, it's going to be dry contact closure. Now there is a problem with that though <clears throat> that a lot of uh, Controls guys um, really goof up on is that uh, a lot of these um, outputs input and outputs these outputs are usually uh, metal uh, what do they call now metal oxidized varistors yep kind of like a uh, triac triac but it's not and they they have a limited amount of amperage that you can pull across those varistors. And it's usually about a half amp, so they can do inductive loading up to a half amp. But the problem is a lot of guys don't do their uh, load calculations on what their actual loads are. So in order to CYA, you know, you really need to, if you're building controls or doing controls, you really need to integrate some. I use, integrate some relays, whether it's IDEC or what have you. But I use the uh, RIB-MN2. 45s which have handoff auto switches so uh, the relay coil on that R.I.B. pulls just enough to keep my barista healthy and doesn't overload my barista and the R.I.B. itself can handle up to 10 amps so plus you get the feature of handoff auto so if you got an output you're not sure if it's on or off you can just flip the
1: switch and see. Flip the switch on the controller.
2: Yeah Yeah. Yeah, flip the switch on the R.I.B. which makes it really handy for doing uh for HVAC techs that's out there doing their maintenance they so can just flip the switch and say, okay, compressor one come on, compressor two come on, as long as they remember to put it back in auto and don't leave it in off. But so,
1: so let so let's if we go back to those two five ton rooftops and we want to network them together, I mean there there's um I there, I guess there's different ways you can do this. with if you're gonna do some customized Controllers like you were talking about before, and we want to network them together. We need we need to run some like some shielded wire, right? Yes. Okay. And and what 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 what, what, what gauge like 18 gauge, right? Which should be fine for that.
2: Uh well you know that depends. Um uh, 22, 24. Oh really? Uh, twisted yeah. Twisted pair. Yeah. And uh, you know it's you got to buy the level four echelon cable. Uh, well, you don't have to have it, but, you know, anytime you use shielded cable, 22 to 24 gauge on one, and then uh, the net stuff, uh, we do 18 to 20 on it. Um, so, three conductor shielded, twisted, so. But uh, another thing, too, about shielded cable, and I see a lot of this, too, is if you ground both ends of that cable, you create an antenna, and you create an antenna, you bring an interference, and that allows a lot of crosstalk, and issues with the uh, communication network. There's several ways you can do communication network. You can do a daisy chain, which I know you're familiar with. That you yep, know, you've seen this before. Yep, where you jump from one controller to another controller to another controller, and at the very end you put a termination resistor, or at both ends you put a termination resistor.
1: Yeah, and end uh, end of line resistor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And
2: then there's you can do the star method, which is basically you're building automation controllers in the middle, and then you just home run each controller back. The limitation with the star method is you're limited on the, uh, the length that you can run. Uh, daisy chain, you can, it has some benefits. You can run a longer lead, and also, too, you can unplug devices and see where, if you have a communications fault, where the fault would be, uh, so. But there's several ways you can do it. Um, main thing with communication stuff is you need to be neat, thorough, and make sure you have good connections. If you're going to ground the shielded cable, make sure you only
1: ground one end. So you I got to create an antenna I, I, effect. I got a funny story about that because as soon I was going to tell that story and then you brought up the uh, the grounding in one place. So back when I was I was probably borderline uh, apprentice journeyman. So I'd been in the trade for about five years, and uh, we were installing a bunch of uh, Mitsubishi City Multi uh, machines. So I think it was. Two condensing units and there was like 15 heads in total, and we had to network them all together. And uh, we were <laughs> we were grounding the shielded cable at every single piece of equipment, right? And then it was years later uh, that I found out that you only ground it in one spot. But you know what? Those things did run for a very long. Like we had the contract after for three four years, and I was in there every month doing a maintenance or PM because they wanted it checked monthly, and we never had any issues. So. It it's kinda of strange well, that that never happened.
2: Well they they well it's really unforgiving. I mean I've I've been out of town before and run out of uh lawn cable and you know, I've had to go to Lowe's or Home Depot or whatever and buy some uh, security cable to finish a job up. I mean, you know, that's not the right way to do it, but you have to do what you gotta do and those jobs have been in for twelve years and never had a problem, so more likely you're not gonna have a problem if you do ground it at both ends. But if you're close to that cell phone tower or they build a cell phone tower next to it you know, five years later, you may potentially have problems.
1: Yeah, so you might as well do it right from the get go then. So so
2: So if if you're a daisy chaining what you wanna do is you wanna take the shield and twist it together and tape it. Yeah. Not touch it to ground at that device. And at yep. the very end, either the end or the beginning of the uh, communications line, then you want to uh, shield it there, I mean, ground it there. Uh, yep. Make sure you have a good ground and ground it there. Uh, but any time that you strip shielded cable, and I see this a lot, and I've seen it on Instagram, as a matter of fact, people has been posting it, but any time you strip shielded cable, uh, communications or not communications, whether it's inputs and outputs, just take the time and uh, – Tape the end of that wire up to to where that shield or that metal, that that shielded part of that wire can't touch that metal part of that cabinet and create you issues. Another thing, too, is don't, and this is a hard one to do. I know that you're going to be tempted to strap that cable to some conduit. Don't do it. Don't do it. Mm -hmm. Make your own runs, go higher than anybody else. You know, if you have to make a couple more steps or get out a bigger ladder, take your cable up higher than anybody else. Don't strap it to an no electrical conduit because you'll get that electromagnetic interference and possibly crosstalk and everything else. And you'll end up, you know, it'll cost you a lot of headaches and heartaches in the long run.
1: Yeah, no. Yeah. I, I agree with you there. So Especially if we, it,
2: network cable.
1: <laughs> oh, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. You got to keep it away from everything. And that's why that's one of the reasons why they twist it is to it's so mm-hmm. if it's running along, um, like you said, a piece of conduit. of some, at least, it's not a, a complete linear parallel. Um, you know what I mean? It's not completely parallel with. It's it, it's twisted, so it kind of rotates around. So the 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 contact of that uh, interference is not so parallel, so linear. It's actually kind of divided. Exactly. Up. Yeah. 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 So. Exactly. So uh,
2: if anyway. you have to, It's okay to cross conduit. You can cross it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But you know. Just try to avoid strapping. It. I, I've done it too, you know, but try to avoid strapping it to you. as much conduit as you can. You know, running with the conduit
1: is not good. So, so back but, to the um, back back to the the five ton example again. So we we've talked about the inputs, the outputs, the kind of the network wiring part of it. So, what if we want to take off? Uh, we want to go on vacation, but we, we're in charge of the building, so we kind of have to monitor and perhaps email like a contractor if if something goes wrong in that building. How how do we set it all up so we monitor the building off site now? Those two five-ton rooftops.
2: So I mean, yeah, you can do anything you want with controls. I mean, motion sensors. Uh, you can set up alarms. Uh, you can do anything you want with them. So I mean, these guys want. Uh, I always said that, hey man, I can almost see somebody in the outer space with controls. I, mean, I, I believe I could.
1: <laughs> I wanted to ask you about coding. Now, obviously, if you've been in controls for for this long, you can obviously sit down at a computer with a blank slate, like you said, the uh, that one controller, and and you can just you can write a customized controller for anything you're working on. Um, that's the part. Mm-hmm. That's the part that that gets my uh, get. It, it blows me away because if I sit down. And read something and read it and read it and read it. Eventually I'll get it, but then I don't see it again for like a year or a year and a half. And and that's why I've always been frustrated with, with this stuff is because I don't see enough of it. And then, then they'll ask me to go back and do something with it. And I'm like, well, guys, I I haven't done this in this long. And now you're expecting me just to flip a switch on the computer and just start firing and in code it into this into this controller and fix things or or get things up and running. And and that's the part of it that I don't like. So, I mean, how would you encourage anybody that wants to get into controls with the coding part of it? Do you think that they should go take a coding class or just kind of get trained with, with, with a a good controls guy, maybe in a, in a controls, like go to a controls company that specializes in it or, or maybe do a class um, of coding before they even enter into the, well,
2: back in the day we, uh, when we had uh, DOS and all that, you know, that's where we did a lot of that you know, uh, coding stuff. But nowadays, it's not really – I don't do that much coding. If I do any it, coding, it's going to be HTML stuff. But that's because, for me, with the old DOS days, those stuff now is basically, you know, you just grab a button, select a function, tell it what you want it to do, and then you just pull a around from that button over to – this other function and then do an input there and output there. It's basically wire sheet uh, programming. So you put all your inputs on one side and all your outputs on the other side, and you put your your proportional integral derivative loops, whether it's a heat or cool, in the middle, and you bring your input in, bring your input in, bring your temperature sensors in to that uh, PID loop, and then come out of that loop to your output. So you do stuff like that on a wire sheet. And when you're doing that, it's automatically writing code for you for that program. Now, if you go on down, if you look into the tree file, the XML file, you'll actually see some of the line-by-line coding, especially on the graphics side of it. That's where I actually do a lot of stuff. So I'll build a generic uh, program. You've heard me say before I've got a lot of generic one's already built. It'll do 9 to 25 units. And if I don't want the uh, front end to... Display to show 25 units, and I only have three units on that site. I will add some forward slashes to, you know, take those uh, properties out of the interface or take way forward slashes to bring those properties in the interface. So that's the kind of stuff that I've built over the years. But most of it nowadays is basically inputs and outputs, and you selecting, you know, your functions from there, whether you have ands, ors. Uh, PID loops, uh, writables, the whole nine yards. It's basically a wire sheet, basically a blank piece of paper. You just put your functions on there, your inputs and outputs, and you you can actually watch it work. So once you, you can simulate inputs and watch the PID loop work and watch the outputs come on and vice versa. And then you can do, you can um,
0: advance more into
2: that from uh, alarms. You know, if this temperature is this, then this happens, so let's turn the alarm and then we'll send an email you know, a bunch of ifs, ands. so Yeah, yeah. You gotta, you, gotta, you gotta talk it out to yourself and draw and, and it out to yourself on that computer and then, you know, test it. And once you test it, you test all the features, uh, anything that could happen to it and you feel pretty good with that program, then you can drop it in that controller and send it out in the field. But I have most of that stuff already built over the years. So I've been doing it for, you know, my entire career, so I have a lot of that stuff still on file. I have some stuff that, you know, back on DOS 6.0, and I still hold on to that nobody else has. But there is that one job somewhere that needs it, so, and I'm the guy that got it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: hey, you, you 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 said um, you were saying uh, PID loop or PID loop quite a bit there. Do you want to explain um, exactly what that because there's probably people going what that what the hell what the hell's is uh what is he talking about a PID loop. <laughs>
2: Well, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I mean, put it in uh, land terms here. I mean, you know, your thermostat is basically a PID team. uh You know, you, you have an input, so there's temperature. Let's think of it as a thermostat here. Okay, so your own temperature is, say, 70 degrees. And your set point, which is another input, you have selected to be 72. So, you know, there's a difference, there's a different, so the PID loop is starting to drive, it's more than zero, which is satisfied to 100%, and it could be reverse acting or direct acting, depending on whether you're doing cooling or heat, so you need to watch those outputs, so anyway, 0% satisfied, um, and as the temperature inside increases, the, the uh, demand increases, as the demand increases, you get to a certain point, whether you set that output at 50% and you want to turn that output on, then the timer, you to have a timer involved that so you don't want to short cycle something. So, you know, just like your thermostat works, it'll keep it—it'll keep the air conditioning unit on or the heat on for X amount of time. And as we talked before on cycles per hour, you have a limit of how long you want, or how many times per hour you let that unit run. So those are algorithms, and we're talking about a PID loop, so it's four proportional, integral, derivative. And the two, the first two I talked about it two the two that you mess with. The D you don't usually match uh, with. Proportional, zero to hundred, uh, integral, the time. So that's pretty much it. So if it's lower than this in here, then bring the heat on. If it's warmer than this in here, then satisfy. Pretty much, or, or vice versa for cooling. So uh, anytime you're doing a uh, output that is controlled. Uh, for heat or cool or anything of that nature, you're trying to get to a set point or you're trying to manipulate something to get to that set point, you really think about doing P I D loops.
1: Yeah, and P I D loops are good for like um uh like a VRF, like a like a a, a multi speed compressor type thing, right? Or a variable speed compressor, mm-hmm. sorry. Yeah. And, and and it helps to keep and you can do it,
2: a PI well, I'm sure that controller and that VRF and a lot of other, data, they all kind of basically PID loops and the algorithms and PID loops that the engineers have put into it to drive that frequency of that motor. So it's the same difference. So if I'm doing another one of the static pressure PID loop, I run those two. So off of a pressure differential transmitter, if I'm trying to maintain, you know, two inches of static three quarters of the way down the duct on a big 50-ton unit, then I'm going to do a PID loop to vary my output uh, to that VFD, whether it's zero to ten or 2 to ten or four to twenty milliamps, whatever my signal is. So, but there's more to it. You got to have timers. You going to have, you know, you got to have anti-short cycle timers. You got to have uh, all kinds of stuff. And there's properties inside PID loops that you need to set up as well. You have to play with those to find what suits your equipment for your area. Now, my area is not going to be the same as your area because you're in Canada. Uh, you know, a whole lot colder up there. I ain't, I ain't never seen a temperature like you got. I couldn't live up there. But down here, <laughs> but down here it's a little bit different. So if I'm programming something for Canada, it's going to be a little bit different on the PID loop. But I've sent controllers all over the world. So, uh, you know, I had to take a lot of things into consideration. There's a whole lot more to it. We're talking about degree days. You know, uh, what is your average degree day up there for your heating team? How many degree days do you have in the cooling season? vice versa and what have you. So take a lot of that stuff in consideration
1: before saying anything out. Yeah, you know what? I read um I read a very interesting example of what, uh, and it kind of broke it down into a very basic uh, terms of what a PID loop was and and how it worked. and And see if you agree with this. And this is this is a while back. So proportional is so you take you take you take like a, a hot and cold tap, like just your basic taps, right? And, and you, want uh-huh. to, you want to get a certain temperature um, coming out of the tap, but you have to adjust hot and cold to get there. So proportional, you just kind of fire on cold, you fire on hot, and you kind of, you're in the range. Uh, integral is kind of uh, adjusting it to get where you want to be, and the derivative is constant tweaks back and forth um, constantly all the time. To, to to maintain that temperature of water coming up the tap. Is do you agree with that um, analogy there?
2: Well that's a good way to do it. I mean everybody does it when they brush your teeth, I'm pretty sure. You know, they'll <laughs> turn on the hot But still you know, when you get in the shower until you turn on the hot, wide open it you'll tweak the cold cool uh cold a little bit just to get the temperature right. And then when you're in there getting a shower you'll turn the cold down a little bit more, cold down a little bit more. It's the same thing. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing. But it's an algorithm. That's the thing. It's algorithm. Every thermostat has an algorithm, and don't try to get confused. It's the same thing going on in the thermostat that's going on in the PID loop. But main thing to remember is usually don't mess with derivatives unless you have to. Absolutely have to.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I've always um kind of been on that same thought path as well that's something if i ever got in deep enough into a controller where i was playing around with it i never would go near the, <laughs> the derivative part of it what's the way
2: from and i have i have changed it before but that was because you know i had the wire sheet in front of me and i can actually test and see how it was responding but i've had to make those changes before but i suggest nobody do that just starting out you need to have several years on your belt before you know but mm-hmm. you're messing with there on the derivative part up.
1: Okay, well, cool. But, yeah, you're right.
2: So, proportional interval is just like the shower. When you're in there taking a shower, every time you bump that cold water, you know, or hot water, vice versa, you know, you're doing the derivative there. So, the main thing is you always want to overshoot. Uh, PID loops are always trying to overshoot just a hair. Because if not, they'll be stuck in a loop. They'll never yeah. satisfy. Yeah. So.
1: True. Cool man. Well that that's what what have we touched on here? We touched on inputs, outputs, network wiring, shielded cable, uh PID loops, um a bunch of stuff. So I mean I, I don't want to keep you on the phone too long. It, well, Jesus Christ, we were on the phone for like thirty five minutes already. <laughs> time flies time flies when I'm talking to you, Rocky. <laughs> Well,
2: there's a few things that people need to understand. Okay, when you do a job or you plan on doing a control job, you need to do an inventory of the equipment there. And then you need to get a scope of what the customer is wanting. Uh, A lot of my work is pretty pretty specialty work. It's kind of crazy stuff, actually. You know, I do a lot of wireless stuff, some crazy wireless stuff, like uh, 27 megahertz, 50 megahertz. I do a lot of uh, access controls, interface, compact solutions, basically, you know, we do a lot of crazy stuff where we integrate uh, closed-circuit television, access control, uh, security, uh, alarm systems, lighting, uh, HVAC, everything into uh, building automation systems. So it's not just HVAC. Yeah, exactly. You need to know a little bit about all that stuff. So. Uh, for yeah. example, some of my control jobs, basically the way they work is you know, I have, uh, I'll have split the lights up in half. So it would be 50% and 100% lights. And 50% lights will be activated off the alarm. So when they arm the system, the lights will go off. That 50% will go off. And when they disarm it, that 50% will come on. And the other 50% usually operate off a schedule, depending on the customer's schedule operating hours. Now, the way I integrate the alarm in is when they arm the system, it closes a set of contacts which say, hey, the alarm is armed, so now let's turn half the lights out and let's, send all the HVAC in unoccupied mode, and uh, vice versa, when they disarm the system, we'll turn half the lights on, and we will bring the HVAC to occupied mode, and uh, if somebody breaks in, there's another input called intrusion, so if somebody breaks in, we ain't worried about bringing the HVAC to occupied, but we are going to bring all the lights on, the 50 and 100% on, so that way that the closed-circuit television can get a good view of that robber.
1: Yep makes sense so
2: that's how we do it and we also uh, put in uh, momentary buttons which will give you two hour overrides so if somebody comes in before schedule when the hundred percent lights supposed to come on they can push the button will give them two hours not only will it bring on all the lights but it'll actually bring on the HVAC too so but you need to understand a lot of things with controls you need to understand maintain momentary uh, contact closures, pulse. Another thing we do is Watt nodes and CTs. So we'll take power consumption, do the pulses off of the Watt node, and actually we have formulas depending on what type of CT is being used, whether it's a 400 amp or 600 amp CT. Take that pulse and actually generate uh, an average KW usage per hour and daily usage and actually trend that. So there's trends and history charts too. We'll also use uh, photo cells to detect the light level outside whether we need to bring on parking lot lights or you know storefront lights or whatever lighting we may need we also will use uh water sensors to detect uh if it's rained if it if it's rained, then we don't turn on sprinkler systems if yep. it hasn't rained then we'll turn on sprinkler systems
1: yeah that, and we, that, we do that's that cool. a, uh,
2: algorithm too as well so we're saving on water and power and that's the main thing and we're giving the building owner total control. We integrate fire systems into it as well. So if we get a contact closure from the fire alarm system saying, hey, if there is a fire in this complex, then we'll shut all the HVAC down immediately. Mm -hmm. So one contact closure, we can send a signal to all the air conditioning units to turn the fans off and, and force it into standby mode.
1: Yeah. Cool so there's stuff. a lot of cool things you can do. Oh, there's there's ton tons of cool stuff you can do. You can't. <laughs> you know what's crazy though about all this? My uh, my uh, my brother-in-law. Well, see, my wife gave me Alexa for Christmas, and I just use it for mm-hmm. listening to music. But he's integrated all his lights into it, and he said he just got different bulbs. So he walks in and goes, "Alexa, turn on the lights." And the bulb and the bulbs are special bulbs. I don't know how they communicate with Alexa, but his lights turn on. So I hope I hope these little uh, hockey pucks and light bulbs don't steal the jobs of all these uh, hard-working controls guys out there eventually.
2: Well, like I said you know, <laughs> as long as local Wi-Fi, minutes, wireless, yeah. minutes, then, you know, that's that's okay. But when it starts going to the cloud, that's when you know. As long as if they ever shoot for 100% cloud-based, our, our jobs never gonna go away. But if they ever do local Wi-Fi, like. You know, Johns Controls has been really big into that here lately, doing the facility floor stuff and the various stuff. You know, using wireless stuff and using uh, routers and repeaters. Uh, you can just, you know, it's it's crazy. I mean, a lot of it's going wireless now, uh, but local internet wireless. Uh, okay. Is, but I like that better than going to the cloud. Mm-hmm. But there's so many things to do, man. I've done, we've done chillers. I mean, humongous chillers. I'm talking. Huge tillers. We've done, I mean, humongous pumps too. We we uh, programmed stuff for um, where we alternate alternate pumps on six hour runtime. So a pump would run six hours and then it would shut off and another one fire up and you know they'll be running off a of VFD. So we would uh, slowly ramp one down as we're ramping one up. We do all that kind of stuff we control. So you get equal amount of runtime on pumps. You know, there's a lot of things that we can do. I mean, there's a lot of mistakes people make, too. I mean, with flow sensors, I mean, you know, they don't put them extra paddles on there, trip them upright, and they don't work. You know, uh, pressure transducers, I mean, you know, it, 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 it list goes on and on and on. you really got to take a lot of care in what you do and think about it and how you run your wires and how you do things and how you install things before, before you can have a really good operational system.
1: Yeah. You know, you I, don't want
2: to install a... A photo cell right underneath a, a wall pack outside light, you know. You don't want to put, you know, a, a outdoor temperature sensor on the south side of a air conditioner. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of things that you, you've got to pay attention to and what you do. But the main thing that, that it all boils down to is basically HVAC has got to be installed properly before controls can ever work. I put a lot of controls in on HVAC units that are not installed properly, and, and it just don't work. You know, and i have to, so I got to the point probably 15 years ago where I, if somebody wanted controls, you know, I'm like, well, i gonna put the disclaimer in If I go out there and, you know, the wiring's not right, this, that, and that, I've got to get it corrected because I can't commission my controls when, you know, the stuff's not installed properly or don't have good contact closure and not good principles on the installation practices so that's got to
1: be addressed first well 100 100 and i've met controls guys of the opposite they didn't they didn't know how the hvac system worked and and i (laughs) i got into this uh, (laughs) a bit of a a battle with one of them over the phone so we were hired to go um, replace a reversing valve and a compressor in, 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 in a ceiling mounted heat pump all right, So
2: mm-hmm.
1: we went and did that and when we were done, we bypassed the controls right at right at the unit. We bypassed them to test everything. And then uh, the control guy calls me up like a week later, he's back there trying to get it to run. And he's like, the, your unit's not working. And I said, yes, the unit is working. I said, because we <laughs> removed your control wires and we bypassed, we, we jumped everything out. It was running and cooling, running, and heating, the fan runs, everything runs. I said, if it's not running you're doing something wrong. I'm not saying that you're doing like, I wasn't trying to make fun of the guy. I was just politely saying maybe there's something incorrect. That's part of in the program. And and he starts blasting me saying, Oh, I've made a lot of money off HVAC guys. I'm like, good for you, man. Like you're not making money off, off of us because we tested that thing and you need to figure out what's going on on your end because I know the machine works anyway. All right, man. So I th- yeah. I think we I think we've done quite a bit here on, on controls, and uh, I don't want to let the, the conversation run too long because then people might start hitting the stop button <laughs> on the podcast. So um, hang out on the phone with me for a bit, Rocky, and uh, we'll say bye to everybody. Um, thanks again, though, man. I really appreciate it second time around, and you gave us a lot, a lot of information, good information, like like you did on the on the last podcast. So.
0: So that is another one in the books, guys. Um, I told you Rocky, he just rhymes stuff off, stuff that I couldn't even imagine retaining in my head and he's just driving along, rhyming it off like nobody's business. So we did touch on some really good stuff there like inputs and outputs. You need to know that kind of stuff when you're designing a control system. You need to know how many inputs and how many outputs you're gonna have, right? You need to know discharge air, for instance, return air, outdoor air, stuff like that, you need to know all of that before you can design the system. And then you need to uh, have those outputs, like turning on a compressor, uh, turning on a fan, turning on a boiler, or, or an AC engaging it or enabling it from your control system. You need to know all that kind of stuff. And, and I'm glad we touched on network wiring, shielding, shielded wire, grounding it in one spot, right? Instead of two, like Rocky mentioned, Uh, We don't wanna create an antenna by grounding it in two different places, so that's important. Ground it in one spot. And don't run it along conduit, because we can get that interference, all right, from the other wiring that might be in that conduit on your network. So thanks, Rocky, man. Great conversation again. As always, guys, like I asked last week, if you guys don't mind, if you're listening on iTunes, shoot me a review. Just kinda helps get the podcast out there a little bit more. Instagram, Facebook. I'm all there. Follow me. Check me out on LinkedIn as Gary McCready. Guys, that's it. I'm out. Happy HVACing.